You are listening to the Sermon Podcast of North Valley Baptist Church. This week's sermon is preached by Ken Pine. True or false question that we start today. True or false? We live in a culture that encourages us to feel dissatisfied or discontent. We live in a culture that encourages us to feel dissatisfied or discontent. True or false? I think most of you would say true to that, that we live in a culture that encourages us to feel dissatisfied or discontent. Um, All you have to do is, you know, advertisement, so on, what? There's always something more we need. Um, You get mailers in the mail, and there's always something more that they're trying to get you to uh, feel that you need in order to be satisfied or in order to be complete. Scammers, we have to watch out for them, don't we? And um, probably many of us would have stories about scams, that things where we have been taken because we believed something that wasn't uh, as good as it was portrayed to be. Often people try to sell you something that you just can't be without. You just have to have it, only to find out once you get it or pay your money that it really wasn't anything that it was made out to be. The church at Colossae, um, you can turn your Bibles if you'd like to the book of Colossians, chapter 2, where we'll be today. The church at Colossae was a healthy church, but it was a threatened church. Threatened because um, there were false teachers, scammers, ones that were trying to lead the people astray. And Paul's message to in chapter 2 in Colossians is, he's telling this church, don't be taken captive. Watch out for the spiritual scammers. In Colossae, the believers faced the theological danger from opponents who offered persuasive arguments intended to undermine their confidence in the truth that they had received about Christ. The false teachers were telling the Christians there that in order to have the full amount of God in their life, um, the full amount of spirituality, to have a deeper union with God, um, you needed to add some other things to your life besides just Jesus Christ. It was okay to start with Christ, perhaps, but you needed to add things like worshiping angels or maybe certain dietary practices. Um, the practice of circumcision. Their message was, more is needed, and we know just what you need. So just ask us. And what does Paul say as he writes to these Colossian believers? He says, no, do not be taken captive. Because as we know, as we think about the gospel, if we say it's Jesus plus something else, plus anything, it's really nothing. It's not a gospel at all. Whereas if we say Jesus plus nothing, that is everything. In Christ alone, my hope is found. 
And Paul is trying to help them to understand that as we think about the Gospels, we think about living for Christ. Christ is sufficient. No more is needed. Um, back in the month of June, we all remember back what was happening in the month of June, don't we? Uh, I, when I preached, I preached in Colossians 1, and we talked about the supremacy of Christ and his preeminence and the statement that because Christ is supreme, he is sufficient. And so today in the passage we're going to look at, uh, Paul's continuing this theme of the sufficiency of Christ. And he's going to give a positive command, do this. And then he's going to give a negative command, a warning, don't do this. And then he's going to give his rationale for why he's giving this exhortation and this warning. So let me read for us uh, verses 6 to 15. And as I read, uh, just take note of the phrases where it says, in him or for him. Um, some key phrases that are, are repeated in this section. The Word of God says here in Colossians 2, verses 6 to 15, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So in verses 6 and 7, we see the exhortation that Paul gives to these Colossian believers. He says to embrace the truth. Um, these verses, are, by many, are understood to be uh, Paul's main admonition charge to the Colossian believers in his book. And it begins, obviously, with the word therefore. And so as we look at the verses that have preceded this section, we, we realize that you know Paul has talked about the preeminency and the supremacy of Christ He's talked about who these Colossian believers were as believers in Christ. And so based on this, based on who Christ is and who they are as believers in Christ, here's his exhortation. And he says, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. The idea of walking means to continue to walk. The Christian life continues as it began, so to say. And he says, you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, or as Lord, it could be said. And in the Colossian uh, day, you know, the emperor, the Roman emperor, emperor 
was the one who demanded to be declared to be Lord over all. But here Paul is reminding the Colossian believers what they did at salvation. They received Christ Jesus to be Lord. The Colossian believers have embraced the teaching of Christ, um, of who Christ is, what he has done in providing redemption and forgiveness on the cross. They've acknowledged that he is the Christ, the Son of God, God himself. They have acknowledged that he is the Lord, supreme, head of the church. He is Lord, absolutely. Not just one among many. And so Paul says to them, since you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk, the imperative, keep doing it. Walk in a way that demonstrates that's what you believe. And if you go back to Paul's intercessory prayer in chapter 1, verses 9 to 14, you can see how Paul prayed. Um, basically, the things that we're going to talk about here, Paul prayed for them that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Because for Paul, he's trying to get across that there's no should be no disconnect between what one professes and how one um, behaves, how one lives. So Paul continues on in this, uh, when he says this, therefore as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, he talks about what their walk should demonstrate. And he says, um, just as you have been taught, you should walk in a way that is rooted in Christ, built up in Christ, and established in the faith. Faith meaning there, the faith of the gospel, what you put your faith in. And he uses some, some different images there when he talks about um, being rooted, built up, and established. Uh, he uses a horticulture um, illustration when he says, you have been rooted in Christ, you've been planted in Christ. The roots that you have in Christ should be going deep. And then he uses an architecture uh, motif when he says that you have been built up, um, built up in, in him, built up in Christ. And in other words, uh, for those who have received Christ, they are supposed to be growing. Uh, conversions the only begin is only the beginning, but we as we continue in our walk with the Lord, we are to be growing, we are to be um, built up. And then it says that we are to be established. Uh, this is actually a, a law court uh, uh, expression that is used, um, meaning something has been settled. And here Paul is telling the believers who have received Christ Jesus the Lord that it's settled. Uh, they should be established, settled in the faith that they have. So we see that our conduct is to de demonstrate who we are. It should demonstrate that we are people who have received Christ Jesus, the Lord. We have the foundations, we've been rooted, we've been built up, we've been established, and now we're supposed to continue to build on that. We continue to walk as people who have received Christ Jesus the Lord. And the growth that we have should be consistent with what we began with. We began with the gospel, and so we continue to grow in our walk in the gospel. And notice how it says there, just as you were taught. Um, obviously, Paul's highlighting the teaching that these believers 
have had um, in the beginning stages of this very, actually, a pretty young church. And yet Paul is telling them, um, you know, you should be doing, you should be uh, walking, you should be rooted, built up, continue, continuing to be established in the faith, just as you were taught in the, in the years prior. And I think um, it's important to note that really highlights the importance of being in a church that has good Bible teaching, doesn't it? Because we want to be in a place that will help us to um, grow in our understanding of the gospel and of the word of God so that we can be established in our faith. And by God's grace, we're uh, certainly privileged to be part here of North Valley where Pastor Scott does faithfully preach the word of God to us and help us to understand it. So Paul is implying then that the best defense against the false teaching that he is warning the people about, the best defense is to be thoroughly grounded in the teachings of their faith. And I think we would understand that. We want to make sure that we are not led astray. Well, we want to know what the truth is. And so therefore, um, we want to be studying the Word of God and doing that. Now notice one other thing that he mentions here in his exhortation. Rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. And then he says to be abounding in thanksgiving. To be overflowing with gratitude. And if you read through the book of Colossians, you'll notice, I think it's six or seven different times, he talks about being people who are grateful, people who are thankful. And if you think about it just for a minute, uh, realizing the context for this passage, okay, Paul is discipling young believers. He's wanting them to be able to stand firm against false teachers. And so you have to ask, well, what does thankfulness have to do with standing firm against false teachers? What is the relationship between thankfulness to God and being vulnerable to false teaching that promotes doubt? and spiritual delusion. Well, have you been, ever been around ungrateful people? People who just never seem to be satisfied and seem to complain? Um, they're always looking for something more, aren't they? They're always looking for something else that, because they're just not happy, they're not satisfied. So if I only had this, then I would be okay. If I only had that, and I think, you know, Paul is trying to help the Colossian believers and help us as we think through this, that unthankful people are more likely to fall prey to false teaching, to anxiety, to doubt. Um, they're more susceptible to thinking that uh, they need something more to satisfy them than what they have. Whereas thankful people have no need to look for fulfillment elsewhere. And they will not be taken in by false promises. Uh, today we, we sang, Oh, the goodness of Jesus, satisfied. He is all that I need. And we really believe that from our heart and realize we don't need anything or anyone else other than Jesus. We sang, All I have is Christ. It's okay. There doesn't have to be anything more or anyone more. All I have is Christ. And so we ask ourselves, are we overflowing with gratitude today? Are we abounding in thanksgiving? 
because of what God has done for us, what Christ has done for us in our salvation. Uh, three words that one commentator used just to summarize this section. Talk about we need to be people who are grounded, people who are growing, and people who are grateful. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And then Paul goes on to give his warning in verse 8. He says, see to it, beware, that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. He says, beware. Uh, chapter 2, if you read through the whole chapter, there's, uh, I don't know, four or five different warning statements in this section. So Paul is obviously very concerned to put the Colossian believers and us now, as we have the Word of God, on alert. We need to be careful. We need to be aware of the false teachers, the scammers, those who want us to be led astray. And notice what he says about these false teachers and their motives. He says they want to take you captive. They want to take you captive. Uh, the word can mean to kidnap you. Uh, they want to carry you off as their spoil from the battle. Uh, one commentator called them spiritual confidence tricksters. They want to trick you into believing their way is best. And he talks about um, beware that they, no one takes you captive by philosophy. And their philosophy is just referring to the system of teaching that the false teachers in Colossae uh, were promoting, their system of teaching. And how does Paul describe this uh, philosophy that they have? He says it's empty deceit. It's empty deceit. Empty meaning hollow. Uh, no true conduct. It's deceit. It's, uh, it's seductive. It's misleading. It's opposed to the truth. It's uh, sort of like a facade. It looks good maybe, but when you really get behind it, it's, there's nothing there. Do you want to follow something that's empty and deceitful? Uh, you know, most of us say, no, I don't want to do that. Well, that's what Paul is saying. Well, beware, lest you are taken captive by something like that. And then he says it's according to human tradition. In other words, it's not from God. It's something that humans have thought up. And so they're saying, let go of what God has said in his word, and instead follow this false system, um, a false worship that is not to be tolerated. And yet he's saying this philosophy of theirs is according to human tradition. And then he says it's according to the elemental spirits of the world. And there's different discussion about what this means, but um, if you look at verse 18 of this chapter, one uh, in a, another area where he's talking about um, you know being careful, being aware, he talks about how the worship of the angels and spirits was part of the deceptive teaching in that day. And so I think when he's talking here about the elemental spirits of the world, I would uh, probably lean toward that's what Paul's referring to here. The, 
worship of cosmic powers and of angels, worshiping created beings instead of the one who created those beings. And, uh, and then he says, as his capstone statement, that it is not according to Christ. Here's the strongest argument that Paul gives and brings us back to really the center of Paul's argument that any teaching that challenges the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ is not or is to be unmasked to reveal the true nature of their false teaching and the threats that that, that, that teaching is to the Christian community and how it stands against Christ. It's not according to Christ. See, the false teachers, again, they would have a little bit of Jesus, perhaps, but then they would add rules or legalism. Or they would have a little bit of Jesus, and they would add human wisdom to their scheme. Or they would add mystical rituals, the worship of angels. Or they would say, you need to punish your body in order to really be uh, one with God. And just remember... Whenever you add something to Jesus related to the gospel, you are subtracting. You have nothing. And so um, today, the content of deception um, may have changed than what it was back in uh, the days of the Colossian church. But the impact remains the same. And we have to ask, you know, what are we susceptible to? And how do we know if something is true or not? And I think we ask, is it according to Christ? Is it according to what the scriptures say? Does it keep Christ as supreme and sufficient? Um, Warren Wiersbe, um, and he wrote this a number of years ago, but he said, uh, the false teachers did not go out and win the lost no more than cultists do today. They kidnapped converts from churches. Most of the people I have talked to who are members of anti-Christian cults were at one time associated with the Christian church of one denomination or another. And I know from experience that what Warren Wiersbe is saying is very true, that a lot of people who have been led astray and have fallen for spiritual scams are people who were in churches where the Bible was being preached, and yet they fell prey um, to these scams because they were not um, following the teaching that had been given or perhaps they were part of churches that really were not strong in the Bible teaching that was being given. And so Paul has said the exhortation, walk in him, walk in Christ, and the warning, don't be taken captive, beware. And now he begins um, verse 9 with the word for which now he's giving a reason, his explanation, the rationale for the exhortation that he has given and for the warning that he has given. And he says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's a great statement. For in him, meaning talking about Jesus Christ. For in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. He's saying that Christ is completely God. And as uh, Paul has already emphasized, and we, we read the verse this morning, verse 15, he talking about Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. He again is stressing in this section the full deity of Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. 
It's fully God, fully man. And as it says here, um, Jesus represents the sum total of all that it means to be God. He, he it dwells, the whole fullness dwells bodily in him. Dwells means to be at home permanently. It's not leaving, it's there. Um, bodily, of course, refers to his incarnation. So Jesus came to the earth and was fully God and fully man. And then notice how he relates this statement of the full deity of Christ to, to us. He says in verse 10 then, you are complete in Christ. He says you have been filled in him who is the head of all authority, rule and authority. You have been filled in him. Believers, those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, says you have been given the fullness of salvation through Christ, through his death, and through his resurrection. And there's really a play on words uh, going on here between Christ, um, in Christ the fullness of deity dwelling bodily, and then in verse 11, or in verse 10, where it says, and you have been filled in him. Uh, the words are very related in, in the Greek language. And basically what Paul is saying here is that since Christ is the fullness of God and believers are filled in him, we have all the completeness that we need in Christ and do not need to look anywhere else. Paul's saying there's nothing that we can do or need to do to achieve salvation for ourselves. There's no self-imposed discipline, solemn rites, uh, otherworldly visions that we need to have. Um, uh, there's nothing that will deliver us more fully from our sins than what we have in Christ. There's nothing that will more fully secure our hope than what we have in Christ. There's no spiritual vitamin that we can take to make us more, you know, uh, more complete. Uh, we have been filled in Christ. We are complete in Him. And what Paul is telling them is saying what the false teachers are trying to offer you is of no value. And don't miss the contrast here. What did he say about the false teachers and their philosophy? It was empty. It was empty to see. What did he say about those of us in Christ that we have been filled? So do we want to be empty or do we want to be filled? We have been filled in Christ and we need to, uh, to realize that. And note Paul's comment there at the end of that verse. He says, you've been filled in him. Who is the head of all rule and authority? Again, you know, as if Paul has been, you know, saying that their false philosophy was, you know, encouraged the uh, worship of cosmic powers and angels and so on. Um, Paul is reminding them that Jesus Christ is the head of all that. So why would you worship the cosmic powers when you know that you are already been filled with Christ, the one who created those powers and who is over all those powers. So Paul's explaining his rationale for why believers should walk in Christ as they've been taught from the beginning and that they needed to be alert so that they wouldn't be taken captive. And he goes on in verses 11 to 15. And some of this, quite honestly, is not uh, the easiest to understand um, but hopefully um, I can guide you through here. And he's talking now in verses 11 to 15, what Christ has accomplished for us as believers. And the first thing that he says 
in verse 11, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So the first thing that he talks about is that we have been circumcised. And obviously that makes us wonder a little bit, what is that talking about? Well, the word circumcision means to cut away. And um, many commentators, when you are looking through what they say about this passage, they say it's sort of, you know, Paul's mentioning that right here in this context seems to be perhaps unexpected, surprising, but let's try to think through what Paul's saying here. Because he says, you've been circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. So something that is not done physically, but something that is of a spiritual nature. And we know from other places in, in the Bible that uh, it talks about God's people needing to have a spiritual circumcision of the heart. Not the physical heart, but the internal, uh, immaterial heart that is talked about in the scriptures. And that we need to have... A, a spiritual circumcision of the heart where sin and the hardness of the heart is cut away so that we are drawn to the Lord. And here in this context, um, Paul is talking about what happens at salvation, where we die to sin, that we have been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Sin no longer has dominion over us. We're dead to sin and its penalty. And how is this circumcision accomplished? It says you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hand by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And how is this accomplished? It was accomplished through Christ's death by the putting off of his body of flesh, his, his death on the cross, um, which is what I believe the, the body of flesh there in that context is talking about. And circumcision is being used as a metaphor for Christ's death, where his body, not just a piece of flesh, but his entire body was put off or killed on the cross. You go back to chapter 1, verse 22, where it says that he has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death. So here Paul is talking about two circumcisions. He says, you were circumcised by the circumcision of Christ, by his death, by putting off the body of the flesh. And so we have died to sin in Christ's death. Sin has been, the penalty of sin has been cut away. And then it says that we have been buried with him in baptism, in which we have been buried with him in baptism. Again, uh, these are talking about things that God has done for us. He has circumcised us. He has buried us with him in baptism. So this is not um, referring to water baptism here, but to what we understand to be our spirit baptism, what happens at salvation. The word baptism means to identify or to be immersed in. And so at salvation... Um, you can go to 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and some other passages like that, but it, at salvation, we've been immersed into Christ. We've been totally identified with him, becoming part of the body of Christ. Um, water baptism is, an is a uh, picture of what happens at salvation, you know, uh, spirit baptism, but in this context, 
Paul's talking about what happened at salvation, our spirit baptism, where we have been um, identified with Christ. We are one of his. So we've been circumcised, we have died to sin through Christ's death, and we've been baptized, we've been identified as one of Christ's. And then notice how it says, um, going on in verse 12 there, um, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. It says that we have been raised um, with him, with Christ, through faith in the powerful working of God, God who raised Christ from the dead. Again, this is something that has already taken place. Um, there is a physical resurrection that we look forward to in the future. But here it's talking about how through Christ's death and his resurrection, we have been raised as those who have put our faith in Christ, who have identified with Christ. We have been raised to be able to walk in newness of life, to walk in him as Paul has, is instructing the believers here, so walk in him. And notice that this resurrection that has taken place for us, it says that you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, the powerful working of God who raised Christ from the dead. And so we have been raised in the same kind of power that where Christ was raised from the dead. We uh, have been raised to be able to walk now in newness of life. And I think it's important here, don't miss the gospel that is being uh, presented here, um, a little bit different because instead of, as uh, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, you know, that Christ died, he was buried, and then he rose again here, it's talking about circumcision, burial, and resurrection, but the circumcision is talking about the death of Christ. And some, you know, uh, you know, why would Paul talk about circumcision here as opposed to just talking about the death of Christ? And it may be in part because uh, physical circumcision was a very big deal to some of the false teachers in Colossae, where they were saying you need to be physically circumcised in order to really be true to the Lord, to draw close to Him. And Paul is 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 instead saying, "No, oh, the spiritual circumcision." Identity, you know, that Christ, uh, his body of flesh died on the cross and you have been uh, circumcised in the sense that now you are no longer um, under the penalty of sin, uh, you are dead to sin. Um, all saying that has been accomplished. And so he's probably going at these false teachers by talking about the spiritual circumcision here. So Paul's saying all that we need has been accomplished, nothing more needs to happen. The work's been done, and um, we see again who did the work. Well, God did it. This is what he has done for us, and we accept it by faith. And he concludes this section then, verses 13 to 15, with what we might call a before and after. Consider who you were before and who you are after. And in verses um 13, uh, starting at verse 13, he says, And you, talking to, again, the Colossian believers, 
who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, very likely talking to the Gentiles, uh, you know, Gentiles who had come to Christ, but before Christ they were uh, they were dead in, in their trespasses and they were uncircumcised, they were not part of, of the family there. And uh, But God, it says, you were dead, uh, meaning you were apart from Christ, you were hopeless. And then if you notice in verse 14, it talks about the debt, and we'll come back and talk about um, what that is referring to. But basically he's saying that you were dead, separated from God, and that you were in debt, unable to pay. A lot of us understand debt um, in our day and age, I think. But here it's, it's the idea that um, we were in debt to God for our sin. And um, in that day, people would, um, in debt, would often have, and not unlike what we would have today, they would have a handwritten certificate of debt. Maybe you'd call it an IOU, or this is what I owe. And they would have some kind of handwritten certificate of debt by which they acknowledge their indebtedness. And before salvation, Paul is telling these Colossian believers and us today that before salvation, we were sinners in debt, in debt to God for violating his law. Um, we may have thought we could pay down on that debt, but obviously we know that that debt only got bigger and bigger, um, that the debt just increases. But notice what God has done as Paul quickly um, goes on in in, in these verses, because after what has happened, it says, you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So, I don't know if we're going to find better encouraging words today to read. There's plenty of them in the Bible, obviously, but this is certainly a great passage here to be thinking about. Notice what it says. It says, God made us alive together with him. God made us alive with Christ. The dead have come to life. Um, because of something that we have done? No, it says God did this, doesn't it? It's what God has done. And we are no longer separated, but we have been united in Christ. We are reconciled to God. And then notice how it says, in addition to being made alive, it says that we have been forgiven. We have been forgiven. And what are we forgiven of, it says? It says all of our trespasses. He's forgiven us all of our trespasses. Does it really mean all? Does it really mean that? Certainly it does. It has to. And it's, we have been forgiven of all of our trespasses. And notice how God's forgiveness is pictured here. It says that he has canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside by nailing it to the cross. It says that God has canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. That, if you want to picture it as that IOU that we had, that, that decree that said, you are a sinner, 
This is your debt to God. And it says that God has canceled it. Well, how did he cancel it? It says by nailing it to the cross. So where did my sin go? Where did my debt go? Well, Christ took it upon himself on the cross. And notice here that the IOU, the, the debt that we had, um, was not just simply torn up and thrown away. No, the full penalty was laid on Christ. He had to go to the cross to take our place. Um, and that um, record of debt was nailed to the cross. Jesus was crucified for our sins, thus satisfying the just wrath of God against our sin that required punishment in full. And so we have been made alive in Christ. We've been forgiven of all of our trespasses if we have put our faith in Christ. And I don't know about you, I hope you say something like, wow, or praise the Lord, or that is incredible news today to realize what God has done for us. And I just ask all of us, are you alive today in Christ? Have you accepted by faith what Jesus Christ has done in taking our sin and in a sense, nailing it to the cross and paying the price that we could not pay. But a just and holy Savior uh, satisfied the wrath of God, a just and holy God, by going to the cross for us. And if you have not, if you don't know that you're alive in Christ today, please talk to one of us. We want to show you how you can know for sure in Jesus Christ that uh, you can be alive in Christ forgiven of your sin. And then notice that he goes on then to talk about we are victorious in Christ. <clears throat> he says in verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's Paul telling the Colossian believers here. He's saying that they have been delivered and those of us who are, have put our faith and trust in Christ They've been delivered from the bondage of the evil powers that are arrayed against Christ and his church. It says that he disarmed the rulers and authorities, uh, Satan and his forces. Uh, they still exist, but their power has been disarmed. Uh, they're, they're not able to conquer those who put their faith and trust in Christ. They're powerless. And he did this at the cross. It's something that has already been done. And it says that he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Um, and the picture here um, that Paul is alluding to is in those days of uh, you know battle, when the military leader won a victory, um, they would have a parade through the town. Uh, they would have all the loot that they won you know, in the battle. Uh, the, they would have a parade and show that. And then they would also have the enemies that they have captured to be paraded down the street in chains and in shame. Um, sometimes they would be begging for mercy because they realized at the end of the parade they would probably be killed. And at the end of the parade would come the victor, the, the one who won the, 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 the victory. And here it's talking about how Christ at the cross triumphed 
over the forces that were the forces of, of Satan and his and uh, his enemies and the sin that um, was trying to take us down. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, putting them to open shame. So if Christ has disarmed these rulers and authorities, how does that impact us as believers in Christ? Well, we don't have to fear battle, do we? We don't have to fear the battle with evil because we know Christ has conquered. All the threatening powers have been routed through Christ. And since the Colossian believers and those of us today have identified with Christ as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, as Paul said, they knew that they too were victorious. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Christ has done. So Paul is stressing here the sufficiency of Christ. There's no other mediator that's needed, no other power that we need to um, consult or anything. It's Christ is sufficient. And anything that would teach or imply anything else, Paul would just say, is empty, false deceit based on human thought, not according to Christ. And so we need to ask the question, why would we fall for the lie of false teachers who deny the sufficiency of Christ? Why would we allow ourselves to be scammed spiritually into believing falsehood that comes? And that's a good question, isn't it? Why would we? So, as we close this up, application, Colossian believers and those of us today, we're called to be faithful to Christ and the gospel that we have received. Uh, we're reminded of the death and the resurrection of Christ who's delivered us from our sin and the powers that threaten us. And rather than following the hollow, deceptive, and human tradition, uh, false teachers, we are to put our full trust in Christ, in whom the fullness of deity resides. And so I just ask, ask again, have you done that? Have you received Christ Jesus, the Lord? Have you believed the gospel message? And then will you embrace the exhortation to walk in Christ and to heed the warning, to be rooted and built up, established, thankful, um, as you look at your life, are you being taken captive by something? Some deceit, some, something that wants to kidnap you and take you away from the teachings of Christ? Are you trusting outward things to accomplish what Christ has already accomplished for us at the cross? How about this? Are you overflowing with thanksgiving for what Christ has accomplished for you, realizing that ingratitude is one of the first steps toward of falling for a scam. And then do you live as one who has been forgiven, who is forgiven, or as one who is trying to earn forgiveness? Because we can't earn our forgiveness. We realize that we have been forgiven through Christ. And I just trust that we will be people here at North Valley who have people who have received Christ Jesus the Lord, people who are walking in Him not being taken captive to philosophies that question the sufficiency of Christ because Christ is supreme, therefore he is sufficient and lives Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of North Valley Baptist Church. 
For the complete sermon archive and more information about the church, please go to visitnvbc.com.